Thank you, Karan, for worshiping with us today. We're grateful for your presence. I used to think I had a reasonably deep voice. <laughs> now I feel like a piccolo beside a tuba all of a sudden. <laughs> Turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 6. We are concluding our sermon series, Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. We'll be looking at all of chapter 6 as we conclude this work. This way to a healthy church. This way to a healthy church. The only other church I pastored was Meadowbrook Baptist Church in Waco area. We were remodeling the fellowship hall and one of the subcontractors was a bivocational Mennonite pastor. He was a Mennonite pastor on the weekends, but during the week, he painted for a living. It was a Monday right before Easter, and I commented to him as he painted, visiting pastor to pastor on the big Easter week, I guess you're really excited about this Sunday. You'll have such a large attendance. My ignorance caused me, not the first time this has happened, my ignorance caused me great embarrassment. The bivocational Mennonite pastor had a sincerely puzzled look on his face like he could make no sense of the sentence I just uttered. Finally, in that moment of awkwardness, he said, why would we have more worshipers on Easter Sunday than we do any other Sunday. He said, our church members come to church every week. Unless they're deathly ill, they're there. Why would it make any difference, pastor, in your church that it's Easter? He was being sincere. He'd never heard of the Easter rush for worship. And I just remember looking down at my feet sheepishly and saying, well, it shouldn't make any difference, should it? And I walked away. You see, in that Mennonite community, it meant something to follow Christ and to be part of the church. The members had counted the cost. They were present every week. They had formed a disciplined community of faith. Chapter 6 begins with Paul's admonition to the Galatians to form disciplined, caring churches. This way to a healthy church. First of all, healthy churches restore the right way. Verse 1. Healthy churches restore the right way. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. As Paul closed chapter 5 last week, he pictured the community of faith living together in such a way as they were indwelt with God's Holy Spirit that while well, they had the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. He told them in 5.15 not to bite and devour one another. And in 5.26, do not be boastful or envious. So he begins to tell them how to have a, a healthy church. And first of all, healthy churches restore the right way. Unlike that Mennonite community, most churches seldom exercise discipline today. It's unfortunate that modern churches often completely ignore this important aspect of community life by refusing to take the appropriate measures to restore a wayward believer. Many modern churches have bloated church roles containing names of so-called disciples who make no attempt to attend and worship and serve and walk in the Spirit of Christ. Therefore, unfortunately, shame on us, modern church membership has become somewhat meaningless. I remember at Southwestern Baptist Seminary, I was seated in a missions class next to a Korean girl we had a Latino professor. It was a class on world missions, and she was sincere in her question. She raised her hand, and she says, I am so very surprised, now that I'm in America, that it is easier to join a church than it is to get a bus ticket. She said, it's not that way in Korea. She said, you think long and hard before you commit yourself to Christ, and before you likewise commit yourself to a community of Christ. I remember one time there were some folks who had been visiting our church and wanted to talk to me about joining it, and they asked me uh, what the church could do about this and about that, and we felt about this theological position. And then at the end, one of the family members turned and said, Now, Pastor, if we decide to join... What do you expect of us? It's the one and only time I've ever been asked that question. And I answered it. What we expected of them. The Korean community and the Mennonite community, there's confusion about contemporary American churchmanship that requires so little if at any accountability at all. In this letter to the believers in the Galatian region, Paul gives some guiding principles for how we are to exercise church discipline. First of all, he says, it's for those who are caught in sin. We're not to be spying on each other or trying to trump up charges against others. If it's obvious someone is struggling with a sin, not that we're to be fault-finding critics, but it's for those who are clearly in sin. Secondly, it is to be administered, notice, by those who are spiritual, verse 1. Those who dare discipline in the church must be those who live lives that exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Not judgmental and censorious, but those who are gentle and kind and loving and humble and joyful and peaceful of soul. And thirdly, and most importantly, notice, restore such a one. 
The object of exercising church discipline is to restore the wayward believer back to his or her previous position in the church family. It's not to exclude, but rather to restore. In fact, that word used there for restoration is a Greek word that is used for setting a broken bone. And if you look over at Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel, when they're mending the fishing nets, making them useful again, it's the same Greek word here used to to mend a fishing net in Matthew 4 or in Mark 1, mending the net, mending the believer back into usefulness into the community of Christ. It's to be done in a spirit of meekness and gentleness, mature Christians approaching the struggling brother for the purpose of restoring him or her back to their place. No place exists in church family for those who want to search and find and confront fallen brothers for the purpose of lording it over them or humiliating them. The purpose is is restoration. Don't ignore the sin, but restore the sinner. And fourth, even as you're restoring the brother, be careful, look at the end of verse 1, lest you too be tempted. Don't ever look down your long nose at a struggling brother or sister and their temptation and their sin to know, but for the grace of God, there go I. Healthy churches discipline those who are fallen into sin back into full fellowship, a restoration into the family of God. Here's a a second thing he says, healthy churches bear one another's burdens. Look at verses 2 through 5. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. Then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. We are to bear one another's burdens. Look back at chapter 5 and, and verse 14 here in Galatians. You remember last week? The Judaizers were trying to push circumcision and dietary restrictions and festival observations on the Gentile believers. And Paul writes in chapter 5, all you need to do, look at verse 14 of chapter 5. For the whole law... It's fulfilled in one word, that you shall love your neighbor even as you love yourself. Unlike the Judaizers who are demanding the Galatian believers keep the Old Testament law, Paul said here's the way to fulfill the law, by helping suffering brothers carry their burdensome loads. With every church, there are always those of us who are hurting, those who are facing challenging and days of suffering. 
In this family, it might be a a death. In the next family, it might be a divorce or unemployment or a moral failure or a disappointment in life or the burden of caregiving. All of us are carrying some burden on our back at some moment in our life. And those limping through life because of suffering and hardships are to be supported by their family of faith. The followers of Christ are to be more absorbed with community life than we are to be absorbed with our own individual lives. For we are called not to be a lone ranger Christian. We are called to community. We are called to church. Bear one another's burdens. We're never called to a spirit of rugged individualism and following Jesus. We're not to be depicted as the great soloist, we are to be the one in the choir who blends her voice in harmony with others. Years ago, a member of our congregation approached me with a very generous check designated to help those who are struggling in the role of single parenthood. She explained that previously that the church had helped her when she was a single mom and trying to be the breadwinner and the homemaker, trying to play both roles in the lives of her kids. And her kids needed a scholarship to camp and extra encouragement and love. And the church had become the very family for her children. And now that she was able, she'd made a covenant with God that if he ever put her in a position to help single parents, she would. And she did. Bear one another's burdens. Her life had been changed because of the love of this community of faith, and she wanted that love to be passed forward to others who needed encouragement. Bear one another's burdens. You might object there in verse 5, where it says, For each one shall bear his own load. Some translations have burden translated both places, where it says, first of all, share one another's burden. And then in verse 5, it seems contradictory. He says, For each one shall bear his own burden. I hope your translation uses two different words, for there are two different Greek words here in the text. The first one is a a heavy, unbearable load that one himself is not able to carry. And in verse 5, it's a a lighter load. It's one's appropriate bearable load, like a knapsack carried on one's back. Now, he's not calling us to be slothful and, and not do our share. But when we need a helping hand, the church is to be there. Third thing, a healthy church, verse 6. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Now, this is Paul. This isn't me, but healthy churches pay the preacher. There you go, verse (laughs) 6. Lest the Galatian Christians conclude from this that religious teachers should bear their own financial burden as well as the load of teaching the word, well, Paul says, that those who teach the word have a right to receive from those that are taught. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Timothy 5, and your church is very, very generous to its pastor and staff. 
The Reverend Canon Jeffrey Gray concluded, people expect their pastor to have the skill and sermon and composition of Knox, the oratorical power of Churchill, the personal charm of a film star, the tact of royalty, the height of a hippo, the administrative ability of Lord Newfield, the wisdom of Socrates, and the patience of Job. Therefore, people are very often disappointed in their pastor, aren't they? One rural pastor said, it's tough out here in rural America. He said the church members are whipped down and beaten down by the economy. They pass it on to the pastor. In fact, he said, one member suggested my salary increases be tied to the flow of the hog market up and down, and that would determine my pay. The story circulates about Woodrow Wilson's father, who was a Presbyterian pastor in Princeton, New Jersey, some men were out in front of the store making small talk, and Woodrow Wilson's father, Pastor Wilson, the Presbyterian, came up, and, well, one of the men smarted off to the pastor and said, Brother Wilson, your buggy is polished and shiny, your horse is well-groomed, but you, sir, your suit is threadbare and your shoes are well-worn. How do you explain the difference about how you look compared to your horse and buggy? Brother Wilson replied, I take care of the horse and buggy, but the people take care of me. <laughs> Healthy churches, and you very much are, are fair to their pastor and staff. There's a, another thing. Healthy churches face the facts of farming. Look at 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are the household of faith. The facts of farming assert that good deeds exercised Within the church family, always yield a fruitful return. First of all, he says, we reap the same kind as we sow. This is said in Job and Proverbs and Hosea and 2 Corinthians. We reap what we sow. The fruit that is gathered at the end of the season of each of our lives will be determined by the seeds that we have planted all alone. Seeds to the flesh will reap corruption. Seeds to the spirit will reap salvation. You cannot sow Granny Smith apples and then complain that you don't get oranges at the end of the day. He's calling upon the Galatians to be patient. Be patient for the harvest. Keep doing the good deeds. Do not grow weary in doing what is good. You may know someone who's naturally gifted with patience. It is a fruit of the Spirit. That is the one with which I, that is one of the ones with which I struggle. I'm sure you have those with which you struggle. I, I told the Tuesday noon group we were studying James that when I was a child, it's a true story, I would plant seeds and, you know, I expect them to be up and growing in about an hour and, you know, I'd give them 24 hours and then I'd start digging. I mean, nothing's going on on the top. Let's see if anything's going below. And, of course, to check on the seedling down below that is germinating is 
to destroy it. Be patient. Keep sowing. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time, in due time, you will, you will reap the harvest. He finally offers them their third Take every advantage of every opportunity to sow seeds by doing good, especially to those in the church. Well, another thing, healthy churches know the proper basis for boasting, 12 through 16. Those who desire to make good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in the flesh. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the, word, which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision is anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. For those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. Healthy churches know the proper basis for boasting. The Judaizers were pressing upon these Galatian believers to be circumcised, and that way they wouldn't be persecuted. And Paul is saying, you're boasting about the wrong thing. In our contemporary setting, it might be something about boasting about baptisms, that you're trying to change the criteria of church membership. You're just trying to count numbers and heads. And the Judaizers wanted to say all these Gentiles had been converted to Judaism, that they had been circumcised, and they were observing the dietary restrictions. And, well, we should never get caught up in the numbers game. Oh, to be sure, we're to be a mission-minded church that preaches the gospel, but the reality is we never boast in numbers of success. The only thing we can ever boast in is what Christ has done for us on the cross. Salvation is not dependent upon us as individuals or as the church, but rather, Paul says, the only thing that I ever boast about except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to boast, don't boast about what First Baptist is doing. You boast about what God has done in the crucifixion and resurrection of his son. Well, another one, finally. Healthy churches are filled with believers who've been marked for the master, 17 through 18. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren, amen. Healthy believers are healthy churches are filled with believers who've been marked for the master. While the Judaizers were seeking safety and security, trying to circumcise all the new Gentile believers so they wouldn't receive persecution, Paul says, I myself has endured persecution. In fact, I have the stigmata. I have the mark on my body. It's a, a word used for the branding of cattle. In fact, Paul openly declares that he is a slave of Christ Jesus. He is a marked man with a stigmata. If you think circumcision is a real sign that you belong to Christ, let me tell you how I've been marked. I've been marked by, by, by being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. 
healthy churches. They use church discipline to restore wayward believers. Healthy churches think about community life and they are busy bearing one another's burdens. Healthy churches fairly compensate the staff. Healthy churches do not grow weary in well-doing. Healthy churches don't boast in their own baptisms, but rather they boast in what God has done through the gift of His Son. And healthy churches realize that you may be called upon to suffer, to be marked by the Master. As I prepared this sermon, I truly thought about how healthy you already are as a church. You are a wonderful, loving community of faith. You are centered upon the proclamation of Jesus' faithfulness of the cross, thinking equality with God is not something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the likeness of humanity and was obedient even to obedience on the cross. You are centered on the story of Jesus. You are mission-minded as we proclaim the gospel here in many languages and around the world in all places going and serving and not satisfied until the whole world would know the hope of Christ. You are shepherding and caring to each other. Rarely do I or one of our staff members arrive for a need of pastoral care that there's not already one of you who is there. You are scripture-centered, preaching faithfully the truths of scripture. This way to a healthy church, Paul says, and I think we must be diligent to continue to be that way. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for this healthy body of Christ. And may we always be that way. May we never get caught up in our successes, in budgets or baptisms or anything that we're doing, even the, the joy of good ministry. But may we always point to the gift of God and the cross of Christ. May we take our membership in this healthy church with all seriousness, knowing that it means something to be here, to worship with this people called First Baptist Church, to, to look and see that beside me is my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, and the faith. And I, too, am to be encouraging and bear the burdens of my church family. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.